0: This is the We Fish with Phoenix Boats Podcast, built by anglers for anglers.
1: What's going on everybody? Welcome to the We Fish with Phoenix Boats Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Trockenbrot. With me as always is my co-host, Brian Travis.
0: Yeah, hey, what's going on, Tim? So hey, you know, everybody's paying attention and, and listening to us. Everybody knows this is the week of the classic uh, starting today. The tournament starts today. The expo starts today. Hopefully, everybody has caught up with all of our episodes. Uh, we've been dropping classic qualifiers left and right. And uh, I think we've got two special guests with us uh, on this podcast to try and round that out today.
1: We do. We've got Greg GDP DePalma from New Jersey and our team championship qualifier, Josh Busby from Missouri, uh, to round out this week of shows.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, this classic is going to be busy. We're going to have a lot of people coming through the booth. We hope everybody right. comes and says hi. Um anybody that needs uh, Tim, he'll be in the booth along with the uh, sales director and president COO. And we'll have uh, sales reps and all sorts of people in the booth helping us out this week.
1: All kinds of guys. And we'll have plenty of good uh, stuff for you guys to come look at. We're going to have a step and repeat, uh, do a little photo shoot with the WeFish uh, hashtag. Um, we're going to have the new 920 and 921 Elite, as well as some of our other uh, popular models, a um, new 721 um, package. Uh, that we have been advertising with Bassmaster as well as the 921 um, that we've done a uh, nationally advertised price on this year.
0: And that that's the 921 Pro XP, correct? That's correct, yeah. Okay. And then, you know, on top of the expo, we talked about the tournaments going on. Obviously, mm-hmm. that's why we're all here. Um, Ken Chambers with Freedom Marine right there in Gunnersville, one of our dealers, he's actually going to be on the water doing on water demos. So anybody that uh, gets a chance to go down to the lake, check that out and go over there and tell them we said hello
1: absolutely if you guys are down for uh for takeoff in the morning uh show's not going to open for a little bit so definitely take some time to go say hey to them and uh get a demo ride in the phoenix for sure
0: yeah and, and i think uh this classic is, is really cool it's, it's the 50th anniversary obviously uh, we've got 13 boats representing phoenix boats on the water mm-hmm. so um we've got some good sticks out there fishing for us this week
1: now uh, we're hoping uh we have yet to have a uh a classic champ so we're hoping that this is the year the 50th and uh i like our odds uh 13 guys, all all accomplished angers, and um, yeah, I'm feeling good about this week. I'm excited.
0: I am too, and I'm, I'm looking forward to these, uh, these two podcasts as well that we're putting together, you know, coming from different parts of the country, one from up north, one from Missouri, mm-hmm. um, completely different bodies of water that they grew up on, and, uh, you know, hearing Josh Busby talk about how he came through the team championship deal to uh, get his classic berth uh, i think he's gonna have some pretty neat stuff for us
1: oh he is and um uh, definitely think you guys are gonna enjoy it we caught them literally right before practice started for them um so the classic was fresh on their mind they uh yeah they were they were great and uh we wish them luck and uh, all the other anglers this week luck for sure
0: yeah I, I can guarantee you one thing they're gonna catch more fish than i did the other night when i went out
1: probably true <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think they can touch you with how many uh, how many rocks you caught.
0: No, no, I don't think they're gonna break off as many times as I did. But that's okay.
1: No, excellent. No, and uh, what you'll be down on uh, you'll be down to I'll
0: be down on uh, tomorrow. I'll be yep. here Saturday, Sunday, um, kind of hanging out with you, and hopefully we'll get to catch up with some people as they come through the booth. I, I'm sure we'll we'll see some of our other pros that may not be on the water coming mm-hmm. in and saying hi to us and uh, meeting some fans
1: absolutely and uh, we just want to thank everyone too uh the the podcast has really gotten a, a great reception so far uh, thank you guys for subscribing we've enjoyed doing it and we hope to be bringing you guys some new stuff uh as this year goes on trying to do a show a week and uh definitely as we get more into this we've we've learned to push the right buttons we've got uh some sound quality stuff worked out where we can make some phone calls now uh, and catch up with guys on the road
0: yeah well, i mean we'll we'll not only catch up with guys on the road um, you know, I know we're planning on getting some people, uh, from the manufacturing side of Phoenix in here, mm-hmm. pick their brains a little bit. You've got, uh, Greg Strom, our engineer, who's been a boat builder since he could crawl. That's right. And, uh, you know, plant manager, we've got, we've got plenty of people with, uh, unique backgrounds and, uh, they can talk about how they touch Phoenix and how they help us build the best boat we can.
1: Absolutely. And that was something when we first came up with this was, uh, we've got a great team and family here, uh, that all have some different backstories that, i think people find really interesting um like you said greg grew up around boats has, has forgotten more than you and i'll ever know combined um our plant manager clinton has a uh, an interesting background and in, in some defense contracting and and what kind of path led him here and obviously we've got gary's episode um that we are going to be putting up soon uh yeah. with him and uh his story is always, just like Teresa's, it's something that you always pick up something new on. You um, do,
0: and and just to pick up on the passion mm-hmm. that, that he and Teresa both have. and you know, Then you talk about even Tim Ipok. Mm-hmm. You know, he's our stockroom manager. He's got a background that most people don't know. He used to uh, actually do video editing for Major League Fishing. Yep. Um, came from Oklahoma, came over to here. So we've definitely got a lot of people that have different uh, aspects of the industry. And and even once we get, get into some of that, um, I definitely am looking forward to – some of these summer months where we can pick some people's brains about techniques and how to catch them mm-hmm. um hopefully i can learn a little bit and uh, make my make my days out a little better
1: oh absolutely and uh i'm sure you'll learn something if you listen every once in a while that's right uh, and we also are going to have the uh the model year show coming up uh coming up there in the beginning of summer we're going to talk about some of the new stuff coming out for phoenix this year we'll probably have our our sales director in here to, to kind of let everyone know what's going on what's going to be new for the 2021 lineup i gotta get used to saying that yeah just got over saying 2020 so yeah the 2021 lineup we're gonna have that so y'all just stay tuned um we're, we're excited we've got some good stuff uh in store for you
0: yep looking forward to it
1: well without uh further ado we are gonna uh go ahead and drop the GDP episode and followed by Josh Busby and y'all just uh don't forget to come on by and say hi to us uh, at the expo What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of We Fish with Phoenix Boats podcast. I'm your host, Tim Trockenbrot. With me, as always, is Brian Travis, and today in studio, GDP himself, Greg DePalma. What's going on, guys? Man, I really would like to do a, a wrestling announcer voice for you, but I really just can't
2: do it. <laughs> What's been going on with you? not too much man i'm uh on my way through heading to the classic so i figured i'd stop in and see the boys at phoenix mm-hmm. Well, we're glad you did i
1: mean on the heels coming up on the classic uh gotta be excited about that
2: yeah I'm, dude i'm I'm real excited it's it's actually starting to hit me like this week as i as i started driving yesterday and like a couple days before this i just really started to think about dude i'm fishing the bass masters classic you know it's like everybody's life is mm-hmm. you know, dreams to do this it's like yep. if, if you're a fisherman oh yeah <laughs> and I'm getting ready to do it <laughs> I mean that's just gonna you're gonna have chills the first day Oh, I got chills like starting like now <laughs> yeah, I'm getting
1: goosebumps <laughs> that's awesome yeah Brian and I we've always joked that we'll be there to pick up confetti for somebody or yeah. someone left a phone we'll go back for it but that's about as close to the stage as we're gonna get no, you, you get to know. walk across man that's gonna be awesome yeah it is awesome you got half of New Jersey coming I got just about half or
2: three-quarters sure. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's good.
1: That's uh, why those
0: hotels booked up so quick. Yeah.
2: So uh don't don't push me at the classic video. <laughs> got the
0: muscle behind him That's right.
1: Oh, the Jersey shore coming right. down. Yeah, and the mafia. Yeah. <laughs> well shoot, man. Uh well, we're we're kind of got the season kicked off. So you had St. John's. Yep. Um uh, sure you want to put that in your rear view just a little bit. Yeah. I'm ready to just get going.
2: Yeah, always a learning experience, you know, bad or good. So just take it for what it's worth and that's that's fishing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And
1: um let's take it back though. how did we get to uh, you being on the elites and on the verge of your your classic?
2: man I, I probably uh, literally probably have one of the the longest stories you know for guys trying to uh, get through the opens, uh, but you know backtracking more than that. you know I just basically started out fishing clubs mm-hmm. uh, you know my grandpa he uh, he introduced me to bass fishing he will be at the bass masters classic so cool. If I happen to get lucky enough and win this thing, it's dedicated to him without a doubt. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, but, uh, you know, just local clubs, working my way through federations, and then, uh, you know, I got to the point in my career where I felt like, man, I'm going to try to fish the Bass Master Opens, you mm-hmm. know, and that was back in 2006, a long time ago. Uh, first time I ever tried the Opens, I qualified for the lead series uh, in 2006. Really? Yeah, and I actually turned it down because, you know, financially, I just wasn't prepared to do it. Hmm. So from basically 2006 up until 2019, it took me that long to get back into the elites as far as imitation. Wow. Yeah. Now, did you uh, just fish in northerns? Or? I did. I did. I did one year in the southerns uh, mm-hmm. just to try to get a little taste of something different. But, uh, you know, when the format went to the four tournaments, I actually enjoyed that because it, it kind of, some of the guys are so powerful on certain bodies of water that we keep fishing over and over and over. They're really mm-hmm. hard to beat. Oh, yeah. So when we can throw in some southern lakes, Florida, North Carolina, South Carolina, that's where I felt like I had an advantage because I felt like I was more of a well-rounded angler because I fished so long in a lot of different scenarios and a lot of different lakes. Mm-hmm. So, well, it's got to
1: help you, too, going into the elites. I mean, you don't just fish
2: all Tennessee river chain. Yeah, and I think bass made a good move by doing that, mm-hmm. honestly. It really it really makes – the opens is already incredibly hard, period. No matter how you cut it. But then when you start to actually mix up where the guys don't have experience, it just makes it that much tougher. But it makes you that much better.
1: It's like a micro elite. Like Brian exactly. and I talked before, like you got a yep. Florida or, or a Texas. I mean yep. something early. Yep. Which is what the elites do. Then you've got a out there, Wiley, Santee, something yep. in the middle, then you got a title typically thrown in there. Love title. And then you got a, a smallmouth. So you've got a condensed elite series and
2: correct. And it's definitely a proven ground for sure. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean it's Dude, it's the best platform to learn on. There's mm-hmm. no doubt about it.
0: So, you just tipped on, did I hear you say you love title? I do love title. What is it about that, that that you really enjoy?
2: Well, title for me, the best part about it is, and I always tell people that are always scared of title, man, it's, it's one scenario where the fish will come to you if you know your timing deal. You know, you just got to show up on the right spot at the right time, which is a hard thing to figure out. But once you kind of understand it, it's not. So, for me, my house growing up in Millville, Dude, I literally had a river where I'd, I'd walk out of the back door and walk like 100 steps, and I was on the river. So when I was a kid, every day, my dad and myself actually built a boat out of wood years ago. And that's kind of where I all started at. And I would walk out down there in summertime. Dude, I'd fish every single day on tidal water. Mm-hmm. And then it just started to grow from there. Hmm. So it's in my blood. What yeah. kind of what kind of tide swing is that? Uh, so in the Morris River, looking at about five feet. Five feet? Yeah. So, it's a pretty decent little swing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, right down the street, not too far away, maybe 35, 40 minutes, is the Delaware River that has an eight or nine foot tide. Yeah. You know, and I, I really enjoy that place too. You catch them there? I do catch them good there. Uh, you know, I was telling Brian a little bit ago, I also run a guide service on the upper bay, which mm-hmm. is tidal also, but the tide swings only about two and a half feet. So, looking forward to this season, you've got uh, two tidal fisheries that are going to swing. Yeah. So, we had the St. John's, which during that event it wasn't Mm -hmm. really a a title deal uh, because it was you know time of year spawning wise but uh, we had the st. Lawrence River also so last year on the st. Lawrence when I went there that was the first time I ever went there and I cracked the top ten there it was just I I felt like I was at home because it was an area whether it's smallmouth or largemouth I know how they set up when there's a current situation so it just got that much easier for me
1: Oh, it's definitely making it easier yep that's awesome yep now when you qualified in 2006 I mean did you contemplate it all going, or did you just say, now's not the right time?
2: No, it was the the biggest dream crusher I've ever had in my life.
1: So. Oh, that's like, I mean, you get to see what present you're getting, and then, no, nope, yep. you're actually not going to get it. Yep, It's going to go in a closet for
2: 15 you know, years. It's crazy. Reality hit me, don't get me mm-hmm. wrong. It hurt so bad. Like, I cried. Literally, I cried. Mm-hmm. Um, but from 2007 up until this point, I learned the business side of this sport. Right, which I wasn't prepared back then. Even though I was fishing really good, I wasn't well rounded. I wasn't ready. Mm-hmm. You know, no matter how much it hurt, that's got to give you a boost of confidence though,
1: to go out and get it your first time. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. I kind of feel like a man. I turned it down. I did. It was just, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like just a little bit. Like, yeah, I mean, they weren't ready for me yet. Yeah, you guys just, <laughs> you guys aren't ready for the GDP <laughs> that's, that's right. about to roll in here.
2: Y'all, I'm gonna give you a couple years. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you the difference. Like, you know. I don't know if this is bad or good, but in 2006, when I, you know, was fresh and green and had no idea, I, I want to say I, I fished a lot more natural because mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anything at all. I just knew how to fish the way that I fish at home. Right. You know, we go to these big bodies of water, you know, the research we do on the internet, you try to see what the deal was, how these guys are catching them. Back then, I didn't care about none of that. It was all I did was how I caught them, mm-hmm. you know, and I kind of... I guess I kind of hurt my strength a little bit by reaching out. But I, then again, I learned a lot of new stuff by doing what I've been doing. Well, let's
1: take something of how you break something down. I mean, if you, I mean, let's pick something that obviously isn't going to get you in trouble for information. Let's say we're going to Lanier yep. this year. Yep. Okay. So you do what maps studies first, do you do tournament results? How do you, how do you break that down? To figure out that I got three days to catch them on a
2: well impound the, like that. The very first thing I do is I always look at the time of year mm-hmm. period. That's the first thing I think about, and then I, I I think to myself, well, that time of year, what works for me, bait wise, mm-hmm. you know. And then I kind of really try to elaborate on the baits as far as you know what I do and really fine tooth them. But after that, man, a lot of you a lot of YouTube and a lot of Google searches. Really, YouTube. Oh yeah, YouTube is huge, man, because. You can just like say you're going Lanier, you can type in Lanier and bass fishing, and all the stuff just comes up, whether it's guys that have fish tournaments that GoPro'd it, mm-hmm. or if you just, you know, guide services talking about it. It's huge, dude. YouTube does more than anything, honestly. I had no idea.
1: Yep. I didn't either.
0: I would have never thought that. Yeah,
1: YouTube. Man, dang. May have done well last weekend if I used some YouTube.
0: Now yeah. I got something to do instead <laughs> of watching TV at night.
2: <laughs> it's funny. I don't watch TV. I watch YouTube.
0: I seriously
1: do. Save some money on cable for sure. Yeah. yeah. They got YouTube TV now, though. Yeah, they do. That'd be good. Yeah. So um, once you didn't qualify, you keep working your way back up. I mean, uh, when did you start to get that itch? Like, man, when's it going to happen? I mean, did you ever have that point where you felt like, man, I'm close? Is there a reason this isn't happening? Or did you just know
2: eventually it was going to come? Well, I I knew eventually it was going to come, honestly. That's how I've always felt inside. You know, I wouldn't be chasing it if I didn't feel Mm -hmm. that way. But there was like three years in a row, it was like maybe, I don't know, 15, 16, 17, where I literally lost the elites by one missed fish at the last event all three years in a row. Oh, shit! Where I'd be like, you know, in the points, I'd be 10th, or I'd be 9th, or I'd be 8th. I just would miss it mm-hmm. for years. I mean, it was always so close. Like I've always had, probably for the last eight years, probably early entry where you're top 25 in the opens in the points. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was always consistent, always right there. And it just, Yep, it me every time.
1: Any of those really stick to you? That was just, yeah, well, like something you learned from, I guess.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've I've learned from all of them. Can I pick something out that I've said? It, the biggest thing that I can say that I learned mm-hmm. is is more about me personally. Yeah, you know, as a person and and the confidence that I grew from it by getting beat. Mm-hmm. You know, because you you do learn. You go back to these places a few times or. You're in the same scenario at a different league you've never been to, and you can kind of relate all that into your fishing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I've learned a lot that way. That's good. Yeah. What did you learn from your first year on the Elites? First year on the Elites, what did I learn? You can have the best day of your life, and somebody's having a better one. <laughs> it's crazy how good these guys are. It really, truly is. Yeah. Yeah. Did you
1: have any events where
2: you felt like you, you had it, and then... Come to uh, probably the St. Lawrence would mm-hmm. be the closest one where if I would have made maybe a little bit more adjust, adjust, uh, adjustments, mm-hmm. I, I would have made it happen. But that was probably the only one. I mean, I was in position to win on the James River one time, and I had to win a fish to win the tournament on a Bass Open, and I just lost it. Mm-hmm. So that's just fishing too, but that's probably one of the only true times I can say that I was in position to win. I had to fish to do it.
1: Well, you made the classic, I mean, your first year. That's yes. everybody's goal. So, I mean, you got to yep. be feeling good about your first
2: year as an elite. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. Like, everybody that I've talked to as far as that has fish classics, you know, uh, Gluzik, Iconelli, you know, you kind of get their two cents on, like, you know, what's your thought process you know, mm-hmm. or, or what do you try to do? And they just, they basically all tell me, you know, just don't get wrapped up in all the hoopla that comes along with it, which I'm sure is going to be really hard not to um but dude first classic my main deal is yeah i want to win but i i want to enjoy it Mm -hmm. you know so that's that's the big thing for me
0: yeah i could definitely see that yeah i
1: mean that's why you bring half a jersey with you that's right that's right (laughs) y'all gonna have a party no matter what Yeah, and cold cuts (laughs) (laughs) oh that's good yeah man that's awesome though first year first classic yeah making this stuff happen
2: yeah dude like, I just talked about this the other day with Gluzik. Like, like, what are the chances of, like, imagine my first professional win be the Bassmasters Classic. And, you know, Pete looked at me and goes, well, somebody's got to win it. And he's right. That's right. You know, you got a 1 in 53 chance of winning this thing. That's pretty good odds. It is. Has anyone won their first Classic? So, I looked it up. Oh, Jordan. I- so, Jordan Lee, he didn't win his first Classic, yeah. but his first professional win was their – I don't awesome. think anybody's ever won their first try that I know of. I can't think of one. Yeah, that'd be cool. Oh, fiftieth. I don't care. First it was like my yeah. tenth try. That I <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So um,
1: Jordan Lake. Yeah, he did. Had Gunnersville for his first one. Yeah, he did well. He had like a sixth. First, first one ever. Yeah, his first classic was at Gunnersville. He came in sixth. Yeah, and uh, uh, Paul Mueller had a second. I think he was a Federation guy at the time. He had like thirty-two pound bag. Yeah, that's the biggest bag. in it was fourteen, history, I think. I think. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. That was a big sack.
0: So back, I know you and I talked a little bit earlier. You've done quite a bit of construction. I did. So back, you know, you went back to that first time you qualified for the elites. Yep. You said no, I'm not ready yet financially. Is that when you got into construction, or were you doing that before you even qualified?
2: No. So I've been in construction since eleventh grade. So okay. I was doing it way before. Like I always fished. I always bass fished. Uh, I think I joined my first club in like probably ninth or 10th grade club wise, but I always did construction. Like ever since I started to, you know, I bought my first Ford Ranger. I needed, I needed to put gas in it. So I had to work yep. mm-hmm. Same in my John, boat. you know, I had to put gas in my 7.5 game Fisher motor, but I always worked. So for me, I was fortunate because my boss allowed me to take off whenever I wanted to. So I wasn't making, you know, good money by no means, but I made enough money to get by, and I had the time to do it because my boss let me off. So it was like the perfect storm, as far as my job for me, yep, you know, just a, just the a average kid growing up. And then, you know, from there, I basically I told you a little bit ago, I, I, I thought about starting a guide service. And it got to the point to where my guide service started to take off, and I was doing it just on the weekends. And I thought to myself, in my first year of my guide service, it was tough. It wasn't easy because I was trying to line up trips and and just keep the money flowing. Plus, fishing the bass opens, it was expensive. And uh, by my second year of my guide service, it just flourished and took off. And then I qualified for leads the following year. So, no regrets by doing that. I still I still guide here and there on the sides when I can. I'm at home. But, man, it's just funny because I felt like inside the guide service took me to the next level because I was on the water every single day guiding instead of swinging a hammer. Mm-hmm. I can see that. Yep.
0: What? So what part of construction were you doing? Are you framing, roofing, uh, all I, the above?
2: Yeah, I mean, mostly all the above. But I started out doing framing and then probably for the last seven years doing trim work.
0: Yeah. Yep. I remember those days. You and I talked about that earlier. Yeah. I, one One summer, my dad, one of his goals was I had to try every part of construction. Yep. The summer I was with the roofer, that was a no go. I'm right, a ground squirrel. Not. I do not do heights. And then one day I was up by uh, on a peak of a on a roof. And they had a birdhouse up there. Stepped right through the roof. That was a wrap. <laughs> I was done. I called dad. I said, "Don't ever put me back on a roof." Yeah, you can learn a lot of good lessons though in construction.
2: Dude, you, you can. I mean, I, I, the guys I worked with, I was blessed because they were very down to earth guys. So they were very good teachers. Uh, you know, and, and like it's crazy. They were they were teaching me about life and construction. Yeah. So I was fortunate both ways. Yep. Yep.
1: So you left on good terms when you went full time oh, guide. Real, them, real good yeah. terms. Oh yeah. Kept up with them. Yep. All the time. How yep. many guide trips a week did you do before you made the elites?
2: So uh, you know, I just said to him. So the year before I made the elites, I did 107 in one year. 107 oh, wow. trips.
1: I mean, you can't uh, can't really replace time on the water. No. I and mean, that's good learning.
2: Year round, yep. you probably hit all phases of the spawn and everything it's like you know there, there's going to be in the league series tournament there again mm-hmm. period i mean they they've been there twice now they're gonna go back Cecil county loves uh that kind of stuff coming to the city right so in the upper bay like when i was doing the guide trips like i would do a, an eight-hour guide trip you know it wouldn't get dark till nine 10 o'clock at night i'd get back out after the guide trips i had a yeah. camper down there in northeast i'd just stay there
1: was it hard to lay off fish when you found them? Like, if you, uh, you did, did you do any tournaments? I guess is what I'm asking. Yeah, so While you were
2: guiding, so that year I fished every tournament I could on the Upper Bay, and fourth place was the lowest finish I got that year. Really? If we weren't first and second. <laughs> Man, <Yep. laughs> That's then,
0: what. That's what I wonder. Like, if you're guiding it, I mean, you don't show them all the juice, right? I mean, you got no, a couple of things. No. No. Yeah. There's there's one thing on the Upper
2: Bay that I will never expose unless we're fishing the Elite Series there. Yeah. I'm the only person that knows about it that I know of. Really. Found. Yep. I, I really want to know what do <laughs> yep, That's the only way I'll ever expose it. And, and once I expose it, it's done. But did you ever have uh,
1: clients that came to you like before tournament to guide them, and then you see them in the tournament on the same stuff you
2: showed them? Honestly, a lot of the people I did guide trips for were tournament guys that I fished against for years. Mm-hmm. And you know, one thing I always stress to people is I don't own the water. So if I show you guys something, it's yours too. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't own it. So right. I, I would show a lot of guys even though it was you know community stuff. It was good stuff. Mm-hmm. So I would I would do a rotation where I'd come through and if I'm doing a tournament and they're doing the same tournament, I'd see them on the same stuff then. Yeah. But it didn't matter because I mean, if you ever fished one day on the Upper Bay in the summertime on the flat, you got 100 150 boats in one circle. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just
1: trading. That's it. Yeah. yeah. So
2: it is what it is. It Just comes down to a little bit of luck and who's a little better fisherman.
1: Hmm. Now what did you uh I mean, how do you always stay on fish? I mean, you had to just put in the time in between trips and yeah, mark them, stay on
2: them. Once I did, like, let's say, let's say I took a break for a week or something. Mm-hmm. If I came back on the water, you know, fishing there a whole bunch makes it a lot easier. But if I came back on the water, within one or two days of fishing, I was right back on them again. Really? You follow them around. And, and that place is crazy because you can go out there and get on and catch 40 or 50 in one spot and then do it again the next day and then the next day. Hmm. it's stupid when it's right. That sounds good. It's world-class. Better than what we got.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep. So so you mentioned a minute ago you had your little aluminum boat, 7.5 on the yep. back. When did you upgrade to a, a little bit bigger boat and start trailering that thing around, hitting bigger lakes? I
2: would say I was probably maybe 20 when okay. I first bought my first glass boat. What was it? I bought an 18-foot Nitro 700 series. 700 series. Yep. EFI engine? Uh, Yeah, it was. Yep. Yep. Nice old smoke.
1: I was going to
0: say, can you still smell the smoke? I actually missed that smell. I know. We talk about that (laughs) a lot.
1: We had a tournament this weekend, and uh, there was one guy with an EFI, and he was smoking up the whole, like, just everyone sitting there (laughs) staging up, and you're like, you just got to love it. Like, that just feels like a tournament. I wish someone on the elites would run one. Yeah, right? You should start that. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Hey, Uh, service crew, I'm back. (laughs) Again. (laughs) (laughs) Get out of here. (laughs) So oh, no. So when did uh, so we moved to a nitro and then you just kept fishing and uh, when did you get your uh, you got a Phoenix what, it was 2014. 2014 is the first year I ran a Phoenix. Yeah. Yep. At 920. Yep. And then back a 920. Yep. Back in 920 again. That's awesome. Yeah. Now what do you like about the 20 foot boat? As far as the Phoenix goes, oh, that... no, I would just in a 20 foot boat. What 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 suits
2: you? Why why not a 21? Well, that's for me. I I like the little bit smaller boats and maybe it's because like it, it, it this sounds weird. But even on the Elite Series side, if we show up and the body of water is even smaller, I feel more at home, as weird as that sounds. Because hmm. in South Jersey, we only have 50-acre lakes where I can do, like, laps around them all day long while I'm fishing. Hmm. It's just, a, I don't know, it's weird. Like, my tundra feels huge to me, but I like the truck, so I, I buy it. Mm-hmm. But the 920, to me, feels like, for me, it fits me, like, perfect. Like, there's been times where, honestly, I have thought about running a 919, Really? Yeah, as weird as that sounds. Hmm. Yeah. That'd be cool. Will yeah. Be.
0: Yep. Now you mentioned earlier you still have that 14,
2: right? I do have it in my house, yep. Yeah. Yep. It's going to be it's, pretty it's, cool. it's gonna be mostly the guide boat now. Yeah. It's just, so you guys listen, and I also have a, a 2014 920. There's literally like, the day that I picked that boat up, it basically is still the exact same boat, no problems, no issues, nothing. And that's why it was a no brainer for me to get back to the 920. It was just an incredible boat.
0: How many hours do you think you got on that 14?
2: Well, prior to repowering, I had a thousand hours on it. Nice. You know, just on the motor, yeah. you know, but that was also one extra power head in between all that. So I don't even know how many hours were actually on it, but there's trolling motor hours. <laughs> freaking years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: it's crazy. Now, do you like a, a two lid version
2: I, I, um, for tackle? Well, I've never had. The bigger, you know, lid space Mm -hmm. as far as the 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 PHX or whatever or Elite, but yeah, I mean, I like it. I'm I'm comfortable with it. the 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 one in front of that, I put life jackets and you know rain gear. That's it. Just light stuff. That's it. That's what I do. Yeah, that's what. Yep. I kept that in my 920.
1: I keep
0: my black light and then my rain suit and everything up there. A hoodie. I keep an extra hoodie.
1: Yep. How many rods do you think you carry in yours? Twenty. I don't. I don't overdo it. How many rods you got in the truck? Forty or fifty. Yeah, probably. At what ratio of those twenty are spinning rods? Four, just four. Yep
2: i I always I always carry with me. I would say I average I carry three in my rod locker, because it's like if I'm throwing a spinning rod, it's either a drop shot, a shaky head, or a senko. Right. That's all there is to it. Black senko, right? Yeah, black senko, Pete, Pete style. <laughs> yeah.
0: And that's twenty percent. I mean, four out of 20, 20 yeah. percent. So yeah, that's, pretty good.
1: That's a lot. So when you uh. I'm, I know I'm jumping around here, but you went from northern, northern, northern to you fish at southern, so now you see these schedules come out of places you haven't been. Does that mess with you at all? Does that phase you at all? do you
2: do you care? No, because sometimes I feel like you know with no history, it can really be good. Mm-hmm. you know there's i I always talk about too there's good history and bad history. Good history is where you can you know relate something to what you've already know that's on the body of water you can mm-hmm. run a pattern. Bad history is putting the boat in water and going checking what you used to do. Do you erase waypoints? Uh, I don't erase waypoints. Mm-hmm. I do label all my waypoints very like detailed Yeah, as far as what they are all the time of year, all that good stuff. Um, but no, I don't erase waypoints because there's a time where I might come back that I might use them again. If, do you use the
1: same waypoint icons? That's what I want. I use color. I change my color. Okay, I'm colorblind, so I have to use like pictures. Like If it's Memorial Day weekend, it gets a flag, or if it's any time near 4th of July, it gets a flag. I use, uh, what did I use last week? Stop signs, because mm-hmm. I had too many other ones on there, but I can't tell the colors. So I, I like to uh, yep. get the little, what are they called,
2: emojis? Yeah. 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 So like the way that I do with my layouts on my graphs is by color. So for example, like if I if I see a tree, I mark it as blue. That's how I do it. So if I get on a pattern where I'm running trees on a body of water I don't know, I could run blue waypoints because I know they're all trees that are marked. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I was actually going to do, so with the rescheduling of the Chickamauga event, I had I was scheduled to go to Minnesota to do a Bass University, and that's what my topic was going to be was going to be a practice layout and have a whole entire, you know, layout of my actual picture of my graph and how I have it all laid out because it's really like really laid out really good. Mm-hmm. Yep. What uh What do you use for grass lines? Uh, so grass would be green. Green. And then, if, and then if I get into a pad situation, I use a darker green. Okay. Yep. What
1: do you use a red icon for? Rock.
2: Yellow. Yellow is just for anything natural, anything that I just mark. That's just whatever. If I see some. Like you a know, lay down? No, not a lay down. That'll all be blue. Like if I'm if I'm scanning and I see fish offshore, it'll be mm-hmm. yellow. Just generic stuff is going to be just a regular color yellow. What other colors am I missing? Purple. Purple for me is reeds usually.
1: Reeds? Yep. Do you have this all written down or is it? I mean, you've got probably it probably committed to memory. Yeah, I do it so much I know what colors are. Mm-hmm. Yep. I would have to write it down like under a lid or on my windshield or something.
0: Yeah. So when you're Marvel, so you're going to go color and then when you, you're going to date stamp it. Well, so uh,
2: the only the only way that I'm going to label if it's it's for example, let's say, let's say I'm fishing a spawning fish and it's let's say it's on a purple waypoint, it's on a reed clump. If I have to go into that reed clump and I know the bed's behind the reed clump, I'll label bed behind the reed clump. I gotcha. That's mm-hmm. how I label them all. They're very detailed. Yeah, you do that during practice. Or you do that at the end of the day. Uh, so I do that as I mark the waypoint. Every okay. Waypoint because I know that if I don't go back and do it, mm-hmm. I'm never going to do it. That's anywhere. what I was saying. I don't know yep. how
1: you remember it. Yep. That the bed was behind there. Yep. How many waypoints do you think
2: you put in practice? Per per well pre practice where majority of them come from. Mm-hmm. I would say in the St Johns when I was down there for about four or five days I probably put 100. Quite
0: a hundred. That's not
2: bad. Yeah. You
0: know I'm sitting there thinking about like we're talking about this. It'd be really cool if you had a way while you're on the water, snap a picture on your phone, and then later that night upload those pictures and be able to attach them to a waypoint. Yeah. To where when you click on it, it popped I, up I that
2: think picture. with the ranch you can do that,
0: actually. I think
1: there is a new thing with the yeah. Map Genesis layer. Yeah. Are you telling you
0: me they stole my idea before I even had it? Yeah, they got you. Dang, come on. Mm.
1: <laughs> That's funny. What events are you looking forward to this year besides the Classic?
2: Well, I would say Lake Fork, just because, I mean, I, I want a century belt. You mm-hmm. know, it, it can happen there. Eufaula can be stupid for sure that time of the year. I think the Chequemagla is going to be good. Dude, this schedule is just freaking awesome. Y'all do have a good schedule. Santee, all of them. Santi's going to be a good one. Dude, they're all going to be so fun. Like everyone, Champlain, right in my Wheelhouse. I've had some really good finishes there in the Opens.
1: What uh, What's
2: the biggest bag you've ever weighed in in a tournament? 27. 27. On the Upper Bay.
0: What's your uh, personal best on single biggest fish?
2: Uh, last year, St. John's, 815. What about Very biggest smallmouth? Uh, biggest small I ever caught. I never put it on a scale, but man, it was big on really? clear It was the biggest small I've ever seen. Six, half, I would seven. say it was close to seven. It was a giant. That that is a big one. What'd you catch on? On a drop shot, throwing a sink on a drop shot in about five feet of water. Black sinker It wasn't black that time. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> now, dro- all right, so drop shots. Yep. I've been, I, I lo- like to pick people's brains on these. Yeah. How big a leader do you tie on your drop shot?
2: For largemouth or smallmouth, that's the question. So the let's op- let's do largemouth. We're in we're in Tennessee. So um, so I drop shot mm-hmm. probably, dude. If I had to put a percentage on it in the elite series, I would say it's like eighty percent. I'm drop shotting largemouth or smallmouth. It's always on my front deck. Okay, so largemouth, how big a leader? Uh, average probably fourteen inches. And smallmouth. Uh, smallmouth is really dependent on how far off the bottom they are on my graph. Really, that's the biggest part. Okay, so if I see them two feet, I would make a two foot leader which seems to be very common on St. Clair, too. Mm-hmm. You know, then fish get off the bottom a lot there.
1: What's your uh, what's your leader or not? Leader to braid? Palomar. Oh, leader to braid? Yeah. Uh, Alberto. Alberto. Yep. Do you do the FG? Have you tried it? I, I've tried the FG. I can't do it. Yeah. Can you? Yeah. Quick?
2: Nah, not, not quick because I just don't tie it that much. The Alberto, I can tie real fast. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. You ever had that really
2: I, fail on you? I haven't, and it's crazy. A lot of guys talk about it failing. Mm-hmm. I just haven't had that problem. Hmm. Maybe because I, I, it's kind of weird. Like, I always throw a heavier braid, too. I always throw a 20-pound braid, even for smallmouth. You know, braid to fluoro. Mm-hmm. Maybe the heavier braid cinches better and doesn't slip. That's a good, thought. Yeah. What kind
1: of weight, for
2: Well, to tell you the truth, I, you know, if I'm on Lake Erie, this is where I've really seen six play big time, where you have to throw six. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're not getting nowhere near the bites. But I'm starting to slowly, and this sounds crazy, but, like, I'm starting to slowly go higher, like, it's not uncommon for me to drop 12-pound on smallmouth now, you know, a 20-pound mainline braid to a 12-pound flora because I think the smallies are so conditioned to seeing not the not the light line but the, the rate of fall of the bait on a 6- or 8-pound test. When you put that on a 12-pound test, it actually falls a lot slower. Hmm. Yeah, so I think – I don't know if I'm figuring out something slowly. I just might have gave up a big secret here. But, dude, <laughs> it makes a big difference. That's, it's going higher this no, time. That's a
1: thought. Yeah. What did people in your hometown think when you said, I'm going to be a bass pro? You're an idiot. Did they? Yeah. Was it teachers? Was it? I had a few teachers growing up.
0: Yeah. Like, you can't do that. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure they're pretty non-filtered in Jersey. I had
2: one teacher. who's my, my my gym teacher uh, for my grade. I used to snag Heron and give him Heron in the morning. He used to give me an A. <laughs> really? Yep. He was a big-time fisherman. That's awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. I actually just went to uh, elementary school and did like, uh, not a seminar, but I went there and I talked to... It's kind of weird. They had four fourth grades and four fifth grades inside this one school, and I rotated through all the classes for an hour each one, I talked to all the kids. It was awesome. What did you just give them a little bit of a – Just about fishing. They just had mm-hmm. – it was unbelievable. Like I walk in, there's already 20 hands up. As soon as I walked in there, it was pretty cool. <laughs> it was awesome. That's awesome. It that is yeah. neat. They just sent me a bunch of cards in the mail, all kind of stuff. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's awesome. It was pretty cool. Did you play any sports growing up? Uh, Baseball and basketball. What you like better? Ah man, I don't know. They're about they're about the same. Then all of a sudden, I learned about bass fishing. and I was like, screw them. So did you f- play all through high school? And I played I played elementary into high school. Mm-hmm. And then I just started getting so serious in bass fishing. I just it just trumped everything by far.
1: Do you have buddies that bass fish with you in high school?
2: Uh, yeah, one in high school. But like, so in South Jersey, I basically only fish with one person since my beginning of my career. Me and this guy like gel together like you can't believe like mm-hmm. it's unbelievable how good. We fish together. How long have y'all been doing it? Since I was 18, I think. Really? I'm 37 now. So that's always been your team partner that's for it. everything? Mike Sims every time. So if I called Mike, he would tell me the juice up there on the bay? He probably would. Oh, that's the, only, <laughs> that's the only place he doesn't fish with me at. Really? Yes. Hmm. It's funny. So the guy that I do fish with on the upper bay, his name is Mike also. Would he give you the juice? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought I'd squeeze in one. You can try last shot. <laughs> you can try. He just bought a Phoenix, so <laughs> did he? Yeah. Well, what model did he got? He's got the seven twenty one. Oh yeah, yep. actually, we were talking about that earlier. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many? You see a bunch more up there on the bag. Starting to, they're starting to gravitate. Like mm-hmm. we were just talking about a little bit ago. I told him. I said, dude, it's only a matter of time before every single person has one because. I have never been with a person that's a marshal, a co-angler that has ever said anything negative about a Phoenix. It's always like, Man, I'm glad I got in a Phoenix. I got a good ride today. Like that's what they say mm-hmm. when they get in my boat. So That's awesome. It, it really truly is the truth. Like it's their game-changing boat. Seriously.
1: Have you had uh, any marshals um, over the years that have called you and said, Hey, I've gotten a Phoenix or hey, I have gotten a Shimano after after fishing with you or, or yeah, any co-anglers from the
2: opens? So the biggest thing is a lot of my Guide clients mm-hmm. have went out and bought Phoenixes. That's cool. Yep. Or Shimano rods and reels, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: That's more tangible, I guess, would be yeah. to see. I mean, because they're using your gear and yep. stuff during the day. Yep. So, yep. Do you tie on a lot of hooks for them and let them use your stuff? Or? I,
2: I tie everything. I tell them all. They're always welcome to bring whatever they want if they're used to using their setups. Mm-hmm. But I have everything under the sun. Don't
1: worry about nothing. You carry lefty reels in there? Yep. Nice. That's my man he, there.
0: He's never seen one of my backlashes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'll just give you another one. Yeah. <laughs>
1: what what's the most uh backlashes you've dealt with in a day like where you're just like this is gonna i'm gonna have to do this tonight
2: honestly it, as far as guide trips
1: yeah on a guy trip
2: honestly it hasn't been bad really yeah the, the people that live around me i mean are pretty serious fishermen mm-hmm. you know whether they're good or not but they're still serious in the sport to cast really well i've only done a few trips like if i get younger people i just give them a spinning rod mm-hmm. so it's never really an issue that's good yep. yeah what's the
1: goal every year for you on the, I mean, when you sat down this year, saw the schedule, do you? I mean, you want to go out and win every tournament? Yeah, no that, one's ever done that. But no,
2: nah, that that's that hasn't I mean, been that has What what's one your goals? goals? What's your five year goal? My five year
1: goal. Let's start with one year.
2: We'll work well, our way no, out. No, it's a it's a good question. You know, in this sport, the the biggest thing is, and and I actually talked about this the other day. Like somebody said to me, "You should be proud of your accomplishments," and trust me, I am. Mm-hmm. But in this sport. You have to win, if you want to be, you know, if you want to be one of the big name pros, whether it's a classic or whether it's, you know, win an event every year, you have to, you have to cross that line. You have to. So that's my goal is to, is to make my mark in this sport. That's Mm -hmm. my goal every year. You know, so starting this year, you know, the St. John's didn't go well, which maybe the bads out of the way, it's all good from here. You know, the classic is a week and a half away, dude. I can win this tournament. Mm I mean, look at Ikenelli, for example, one of the biggest in the sports. Granted, he yells a lot, but Mike's got basically, I think, one Elite Series win, uh, one Classic win, and one AOI, and he has one of the best careers in fishing. But you mm-hmm. have to cross that threshold. you got to win one. Yes. Win something. Yep.
1: So when you sit down, look at the year,
2: is qualifying for the Classic part of it? Yes. And then the next steps to win? Yep. You hear a lot of guys talk about, you know, for example – my goal is to make the classic every year, and my goal is to try to win that. Mm-hmm. You know, because I, I've been asked the question multiple times: Do you want an a o y or would you rather have a classic win? I'm picking a classic win, mm-hmm. honestly, because it's just—it's the biggest platform ever invented. You know, that's mm-hmm. if you're going to win a tournament, that's the one to win. Yeah. So that's that's where I'm at. You know, and in ne- the next week, dude, I'm going out there, and you know, you hear the term "swinging for defense." This is the one event where. It's all or nothing. Right. You know, so if you have there's an no point, there's nothing. If mm-hmm. you got an idea to run 20 miles that way to catch a big one, you better go do it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no, nothing holding you back.
1: Nothing. Zero. You get, you get a check for being there. That's it. Yeah. Yep. That's awesome. Yep. I'd go out and win it. Yeah. You should not? just do it. It's done.
0: <laughs> if I could win it via confidence, I'd win it. <laughs> I, I bet. Mean, you know. I could tell. We, we've had a, we've had a big uh, debate going on about the difference between confidence and arrogance. Yeah yeah
2: it's a good debate it, it really is. is like confidence dude you have to have confidence with anything you want to do in life mm-hmm. period but you know if you're going to sit there and tell everybody you know unless you're you know Ali or somebody mm-hmm. maybe different i'm the greatest of all time but you know confidence dude you gotta
0: have the confidence man you do but, mm-hmm. you do know, it get just, you out of bed every morning
2: it, I mean. you're right yeah you're right who's gonna be your biggest fan down there probably my girlfriend yeah oh yeah your parents coming all of them yep Awesome. I, I have a, my parents are divorced, but all four of them are sitting together. So. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> hey, that's awesome.
1: Hey,
0: I know how that is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just modern day anymore. It is. But is. They're making shirts or signs for it. Oh, 20? yeah. They got shirts, big heads, big bobblehead things. And that's what I was going
0: to ask. I want to see a big head on a stick.
2: Yeah, they got them coming, tough. That's what I'm talking yep, about. They should be here this week, GDP? Actually. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah, man. It's pretty cool. Dude, it's... It's awesome. Like, it, you know, I don't know where they're all going to be sitting at, but when I come through that arena, man, I'm going to be looking for them all. Oh, You'll pr- probably know pretty quick. You're probably right. <laughs> you're <laughs> yeah. probably right. They're going to be the loudest ones there. Yeah, and gunshots. <laughs> <laughs> What's your walkout song? Uh, so my walkout song is from The Siege. It's called a rise. It's actually, I don't know if you've probably never heard it, it's kind of a newer song. Mm-hmm. But to me, the song basically is the game, the mm-hmm. game of fishing of how it chews you up consistently and spits you out. You know, because I tell everybody this is the hardest sport in the world. Mm-hmm. Not only you know physically it's hard, but mentally it's freaking real hard.
1: What's the hardest part you think about it?
2: Hardest part is uh, you know getting knocked down and getting back up and doing it all over again. You know, consistently mm-hmm. and you know you have to you have to be willing to get beat in this sport. You know, that's the only way you're going to get better. That's the only way you're going to freaking arise, like the song says. Mm-hmm.
0: There's another song for that too. What's that? I get knocked down. Yeah, right. But I get I'm up. I'm sure again. that's been played there a few times. Oh, I hope not.
1: We've made it through so many podcasts without you singing, <laughs> and now you just—it was inevitable.
0: <laughs> it was going to happen. It wasn't oh, that bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it could have been a lot worse. I knew the song. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> What's one piece of advice for somebody that wants to be a bass pro?
2: Don't cut no corners. Do it. Do it the right way. Like you know, the the downfall that I see is happening with college kids and high school kids. Is they're really hunting for information nowadays more than they ever have. They're not putting in the work. You know, when I came up, there was none of that stuff. You know, it was just like put your boat in the water, put the troll motor down, and fish. Yeah. that's the biggest advice I can.
0: Take. You you hear that different school of thoughts. You know, you, we've all grown up here, and yep. nothing can replace the time on the water. Nothing. And now you're starting to hear some people say, well, "I don't know, maybe the YouTube and the and the other stuff is taking the place of it." So, it I yeah, know. the it's,
2: difference is. Let me tell you a difference. The Bassmaster Elite Series and Major League is a no-information rule. Yeah. So when you're put in that format where you can't get no information, that changes the game. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I think. And you can't get points and you can't get nothing. coordinates, nothing. Nothing. So
0: okay. what about techniques? Like w- when you're learning, let's say Tim has this brand-new technique that's, uh-huh. that he's developed and you're, you're wanting to learn about it, you're starting to see the stuff show up on Tackle Warehouse or whatever yeah. it may be. How much time do you put into developing a new technique, and, and when do you know where you say, you know what, I'm comfortable with this, yep. and I'm confident, and I can catch fish with it?
2: I was going to say, you know, at this level, with the confidence factor played into it, it doesn't take me but a couple of times to throw it to really kind of zero it in, honestly. It doesn't take much. That's pretty it good. really doesn't. It takes me weeks. Yeah. You, you know, if you do it all the time, like, you know, yeah. this guy's working on the boats out here. They can just look at it like, okay, take me two hours to do that whole job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they just know. It's the same with fishing. It's substitution of time on the water. Yeah. You just know your, what you can do.
1: you think there's a new technique that we don't know about yet coming?
2: Man, I can tell you the one that's shining right now is the Tokyo rig. Yeah. That's that's shining big time. It really is. Well, you talk
1: about trying it three times. I've tried that all summer, and I'm struggling with it. What's, what's the secret behind the Tokyo rig? I don't think
2: there's really a secret. Maybe it's more or less of the place you're fishing. I mean, do you punch with it? You can punch with it. Yep. We just did a whole thing with, like, John Cruz, talked about it, like, the whole entire time on the Bash and – John really broke it down really good, Mm -hmm. you know, how he does a lot of stuff. And the the one thing that is kind of starting to surface, guys are putting swim baits on it and just reeling it across the bottom real slow. Gives it a totally different look. Almost like a wobblehead. Yeah, kind of, but it's just off the bottom that much. You Mm -hmm. just reel it.
1: uh, If you're going to throw on a rival point 20 foot down, what kind of weight are you going to put on with that?
2: Uh, Well, I would say... I would say I'd probably start with like a half ounce, you know, just to get mm-hmm. it down there right away, and then from there I'll play around with it. Now, do you split it with uh, two quarters, or do you nah, like to If get I one? was going to do a straight drag, I'd just put one half ounce right on there. So when you drag it, one half ounce. Yep. You know, it's already going to make you know, plenty of noise just by dragging down that gravel bank, but you can add, you know, two quarters to get to a half and make a little more noise. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm pretty big on throwing a Carolina rig, so it's kind of the same scenario a little bit with noise, and I don't ever try to overpower my Carolina rig with noise.
1: Mm-hmm. So you think that's the the next big, bait? I, I mean we've seen it come out. We've yeah. we've seen a big splash with it, but
2: yep. is that the next Chatterbait? Is that the next? No, the next Chatterbait, man. I don't. There's like if I had to say the baits that stick out in my mind, a Sanko was one when it mm-hmm. came out. It was unbelievable. A Chatterbait changed the game. Uh, whopper Plopper. Yeah, you know them. I don't. I don't think it's gonna have the credibility of them mm-hmm. baits. I really don't. But I think it's. I think it's gonna be. It's gonna make its mark as a bait for sure. Oh yeah, it already has.
1: Well, you got the Ned.
2: Yep. I mean, that the came Ned was out. Big. Yeah. That
1: came out. And then ICAST was all about Neds. Yep. Everybody had a Ned bait. Yep. Um, I think the uh, Nico rig yep. has made a big splash. Yep. Yep. Uh, in the last year. I, I just feel like there's something that, that's coming that we don't know about yet. Yeah. It's going to catch them.
2: I've actually sat down with my two buddies at home, and we have an idea on, on making something. I can't tell you what it is, but we got So we can't
1: find out a good spot on the upper chest. <laughs> we can't find out the new technique. But If if we can make but this. But we can get cannolis from a stepmom, so we go. got to share.
2: <laughs> if we can make this bait that we're thinking about, mm-hmm. it's going to be the next chatterbait size bait. Really? Yep.
0: That's awesome. Yep. So we got GDP, the man of many secrets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, a lot of time and water. You think about That's things, right. you know?
1: Yeah.
2: Made well, any prototypes yet? Have not yet. Have not. Drawings. Yeah. Yep. Well, that'd be awesome. Yeah. It would be.
1: I'd like to see. I think in our lifetime we're going to see two more big splashes. Like I think so. Like the Alabama. I mean, golly, remember that thing when it came out? Crazy. That was nuts. You couldn't even buy one anywhere. Yeah. yeah. They were selling for $100 in the Bass Pro parking lot, Wow. knockoff ones. Wow. I mean, they were welding rods with a little bit of lead in them and yep. that thing catch them. I think the fish got conditioned to it now, but yeah, I think there's two more baits on the verge.
0: I think I think you're right for sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. Sounds like Tim's got some insider info over there. Well, you know, it's I mean, good. Greg
2: did already tell me. I'm just playing dumb. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's something's going to come out. I mean, it's mm-hmm. only a matter of time, for sure.
1: I mean, look at it. I mean, technology, all the graphs have changed. I mean, yep. you've got Mega 360 now. You've got pan optics, live I mean, all this stuff that's you didn't have it ten years ago. Heck, yeah. you had two HDS HDS-8s and you were golden. Yeah.
0: So what? I always wonder. What do you think drives that innovation? I mean, is it a a fisherman standing there saying, "You know what? I really struggle catching them when they're suspended, or X, Y, or Z." And then they start just going to the drawing board about, "Hey, I think this movement would work well." Or, what do you think drives that, Greg?
2: That's a that's a really good question. I, I would think what you're saying, how I can catch them if I can't catch them. That's that's definitely one of them. Um, but the other side of it, man, it's just I think it's dumb luck. Yeah, that they make them. You know, like when they made maybe Powerpole, did they really have an idea that would make that big of an impact on the mm-hmm. market? You know, it's crazy. Yeah. You know, it's just I think it's just somebody gets an idea, or somebody thinks about it like the way stuff get invented with anything. Mm-hmm. You just have an idea, boom, bang, you're you're freaking instant superstar overnight with it. I think that's why we're all here. It's a passion about this sport for sure.
0: It is. Greg and I were talking about that earlier. You know. At the end of the day, it just boils down to details. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the more time you spend on the water, the more time you spend in the boat. I mean, you look at those details yeah. and start thinking them through, and we hope it shows.
2: Oh, yeah. it yeah. does. And it's funny because like you guys remind me of Shimano because Shimano consistently keeps on coming out with rods and reels that are better. And every time they come out with one, I say to myself, "There's no way they can beat this." And that's how I feel about you guys with the with the Phoenix with the company mm-hmm. because even the brand new boat. There's little itty bitty changes that were that are making it better, and I didn't think it can get any better, mm-hmm. seriously. And it's it's the same deal. Yeah. It's a hell of a company, guys. It's I'm, I'm truly blessed to be a part of it. Well, we're glad to have you. Yeah, and uh, wish you nothing but the best uh, at the
1: classic. And yep. we've never had a Phoenix classic champ, so Ooh. you could be oh, in man. your first classic, uh, win firsts. the first classic, and be the first one in Phoenix.
2: Holy crap! That'd be that'd be freaking
1: that awesome
0: be trifecta. All right, man, so you're headed to the Classic right after this, and we'll definitely see you there. Yeah, buddy. Um, we'll be paying attention to you walking across that stage.
2: Yeah. Hope to see that first Phoenix winner. Oh, man. I, I couldn't even express <laughs> how I'd feel right now if it happened. I really couldn't. I, yeah. I would smile for like two years straight.
0: <laughs> you going to be running a GoPro during the tournament?
2: I actually have. So it's not set in stone yet. So I do have a camera guy recording the entire Classic for me. Bass possibly is going to allow our camera guys to our marshals. Oh, wow. Yes. So the whole thing, regardless, outside the boat or inside the boat, will be on film. That's cool. Yep. That's awesome. Yep. So we'll get to follow along. Yep. That'd
1: Excellent. Be
0: good. Looking forward to that footage.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate
1: Man, it. Man, we appreciate it. Yeah, enjoy it. everybody welcome back to another episode of we fish with Phoenix boats I'm your host Tim truck wrote with me as always is Brian Travis and today we have a special guest in studio Josh Busby from Missouri uh, who made the Bassmaster Classic via the team championship qualification how's it going today buddy
3: oh, it's going good you know I appreciate you guys having me down and uh, taking a tour of the facility and seeing everything uh, that Phoenix boats has going on these days well we're glad to have you and you got to be getting excited coming forward here I am you know it's uh getting real close i mean we start practice tomorrow so uh it's it's as close as we can get mm-hmm. and uh you know the whole thing's just been exciting and i'm looking forward to uh, you know getting down there tonight and uh you know looking at some watercolor and uh start prepping some rods out to get on the water first thing tomorrow morning now you got a uh, fresh line you're putting on or are you already ready to go nope we uh before i left uh, i got all my new loose rods and reels in and they got some new striking lines so i got i don't know, uh I think 36 rods in there sitting with brand new line ready to go, and I didn't want to tie anything on until I get down and look at the water. And I got you. So I uh, hope to do a little driving around tonight and just kind of look and see water color so I can kind of know what the tie. Go was. skip
1: a couple of rocks down there just to see it. Yeah.
3: I hear you. <laughs> so how do you – um, I mean, I know that there's a – it's a
1: tough road to get there via the team championship. How, it? how did uh, how'd you get started? I mean, what trail are you coming from in Missouri?
3: Um, so in Missouri, we have, uh, it's called the Ozark Mountain Team Trail. Um, a lot of times we will just see it referred to as like the OMTT. And um, for us, it's our biggest traveling mm-hmm. uh, tournament trail. So we have other ones that are maybe have more participants, but most of them are lake-specific. Like they have a Taylor Rock division or Lake of the Ozarks division and stuff like that. Uh, the OMTT is our biggest one that actually takes all the anglers to, you know, we go to Bull Shoals and we go to Grand and Lake of the Ozarks and Taylor Rock and... Uh, you know Stockton Lake they got they're the ones that takes us all the different ones that really I feel like kind of help us grow as an angler more because we're not just fishing the same lake you know every weekend. Mm-hmm. Now how um, how many events do you have to qualify uh, uh, in the on the OMTT? Through theirs the way they do it is uh, they have four qualifying events in the championship and uh, to qualify for the uh, best team championship typically um they take like the top 5 in of the year points so top 5 and AOY got you to to Hartwell. Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: How many boats are normally showing up for that uh, those tournaments OMTT?
3: Um I'd say I think last year they averaged a little over 120.
0: Okay. A pretty good uh, field.
3: Yeah, so it's pretty good field. Um we actually um finished second by point three four points. Um, How do you get a quarter of a point? So they do they do, it starts off like 200 points plus your weight total, plus depending on how where you finish, like, you know, first place, you get like an extra 15 points or something. Mm-hmm. Then, it, then it goes down to you get an extra, you know, like seven points or something. And, then, you know, just depending on your place. And they have some mathematical equation that they took from bass, I don't know, several years ago. It's a little bit complicated to get into, but it, basically what it tries to do is if you have a bad finish let's say a 50s or 60s it doesn't destroy your season as bad as mm-hmm. like if you you know we're just doing a one point i got you so um, and so basically the way the reason that we lost um because at our final event i say the reason we lost obviously it's all our fault because everybody you know followed the same uh, point system but one of the things that hurt us and kept us from winning was that, that we went to bull shoals and bull shoals was fishing good and the there was not a lot of big bags, but a lot of 13 to 15 pound bags. And Mm -hmm. then I think we finished like 16th or something like that, but there was like eight ties above us. And anytime there's a tie, they carry that same points all the way down. So if there would have been one less tie, you would have had it. We would have had it. Dang.
0: Mm.
3: Now how about Hartwell? Had you seen Hartwell before? Um, I actually uh, had a chance. I went out, um, prior to our off limits and ran, ran out there for three days and, uh, Spent just a lot of time offshore um, graphing, trying to mark brush piles, and uh, I never went up and fished shallow or anything, Mm -hmm. just because I knew with the water cooling down, you know, because it was, you know, I think three, three and a half weeks before the uh, the championship, so I basically just spent all my time really wanting to learn the offshore deal. So when I got back and we had three days, I didn't have to spend all that Mm -hmm. time trying to graph. Right now, did it remind you of anywhere at home? Yeah, I mean that lake really. I mean. The good thing was the herring didn't really ever come into play. It didn't seem like. And that was kind of the one wild card I was really worried about. But it really set up very good as an Ozark-style type lake where you could really use your eyes, uh, when, especially when we were cranking, to read the bank and read those transitions. And
1: I hear a lot of Missouri guys say, read the bank, read the bank. And explain that a little bit for some folks. So, Or you don't have to give it away if you don't want to. No, but. I
3: mean, it's... I'm I'm assuming it's kind of how, like, you always hear, you know, grass guys talking about their transitions in the grass and stuff, and it's really what we do, um, but we get to use our eyes to do it, so when we're running down the lake, I mean, you're really scanning above the the water to tell you what is down below, whether, you know, you're looking for, you know, we have a lot of, you know, big rock transition into gravel, or, you know, even if it's just big rock that's, uh, you know two foot size that goes into rock that's now only you know baseball size you know just any mm-hmm. type of transition that you can find where those uh rock changes and uh and that's how it was out there you know most of it was rock changes on clay right but i mean you could i mean literally i just would run down the lake and i would just be scanning looking for anywhere there was rock and if i found rock you know, you had to make sure that I'd zoom in on my Lowrance and I'd look and see how deep it was because a lot of those points out there were so shallow, so you could pull up on one that had rock, but then Mm -hmm. it wasn't fishable. I got you. So, so but using the combination of reading above the water with my eyes, knowing what I was looking for, and then using the Lowrance to figure out how deep it was, Mm -hmm. uh, really just made it to where I could run up and down the whole
0: entire lake. I got you. So, you could eliminate some water pretty quick, putting those two together.
3: It did. I mean, it made it to where, uh, you know, I... You know, luckily, once we made it through the uh, team portion and stuff, I mean, I had basically me and my partner was at the lower end of the lake, and it's pretty big down there, but um, I had everything to myself. And, I mean, it was, I uh, I think I saw, like, one other boat the whole rest of the day fishing, and I was just, of course, there was a lot of big water down there. And uh, uh, I just was able to run, you know, probably 60 to 80 spots that day just by, you know, just because all I, you know, I just ran until I found what I was looking for. All right. Now, uh, when you guys got down there, did you um,
1: already talk about ahead of time what happens if we make the top three?
3: No, we, I mean, we really didn't. I mean, we've been really close before. I think, uh, like, the very first one, we had, like, a fifth place finish. That I Actually, it wasn't me and Tim at that time. It was another guy that qualified for because my partner couldn't go at the time. But, uh, you know, and then we finished uh, sixth, actually, in Guntersville. And so we've had some close opportunities, but we've never really – uh, got into what was going to happen once we got that split up, and, and that was one of the good things about how we ended up fishing at Hartwell with the cranking deal and pattern is the second day of the individual portion, you know, we had 19 and a half pounds, and uh, all but one of those fish came off of stuff that we had never fished in practice or anything. It was literally, like I said, you know, reading the wind, mm-hmm. reading the bank and pulling up and cranking.
1: And when you, you guys came in third in the team deal— how uh, how long a wait did you have to know that it was all final and locked in you guys were – you had made it?
3: Um, it wasn't too long. Luckily, I mean, we were kind of towards the uh, last three quarters of the way in So, I mean, I'd say it was a good 20, 25 minutes. We had to sit there and kind of stress it out Whether That's not too bad, though. No, it wasn't terrible, you know, but it made us a little bit nervous because, you know, the first day like 17 pounds and something was leading it. And, you know, we mm-hmm. caught it 19 and a half and thought we'd really done something. And it was a big stringer, but – you know, then we came in and found out there was, you know, a, another Missouri team had caught a 20, 23 something. There was another team, I think, from the Carolina's that had caught a 26 something. And we're like, man, you know, it's all those guys that was above us, you know, because we only had 12 something, like 12, 8 the first day. And I mm-hmm. uh, thought, man, if any of those guys that, you know, they had the 13, 14, 16 pound bags the, you know, right. the first day, if any one of them comes in with something remotely close to, mm-hmm. you know, bump and, you out. And luckily, you know, we held in there and, you know, still, you know, had a few pounds to spare, I think, over four.
1: So how'd you guys divide up your area once you uh, got in your own boats?
3: Um, I mean, we really just kind of, you know, once we got everything organized and got back to the hotel that night, I mean, we didn't really have much of a conversation about it. I mean, uh, you know, we both just kind of looked at the weather and everything that's going on. And, uh, you know, we knew we was fishing the lower end and everything that day before came off of new stuff. So we basically just had the the thought process of, you know, if I see you, you know, if I see you, I see you because, uh, you know, when we fish these team tournaments, you know, if I'm in the back of the boat, I catch fish behind him cranking, or if he's Mm -hmm. in the front of the, you know, vice versa. I mean, if I'm in the front, he'll catch fish behind me cranking. So, you know, with only having six guys out there and, you know, with there wasn't near as much pressure on the lake. So it didn't really bother me or him, either one, Mm -hmm. you know, if I happened to see him go down a point, you know, it didn't bother me if I came back, you know, 30 minutes later or 10 minutes later and went down it just because, you know, every time I, you know, everybody, even though we fish together a lot, we're probably going to position our boats just a little bit right. different. And, uh, you know, but in two full days uh, in the individual portion, I only saw him one time. Really? And we were fishing the same lower end, but, you know, there's so many big creeks and mm-hmm. Hartwell's got so many pockets and stuff that you can <laughs> really get back into. And it can swallow up a lot of boats. And with just being two of us down there, I mean. Right. Did y'all keep rooming together? Yeah, we did. I don't think I had room with you, Brian.
0: Why?
1: I mean, we'd, we'd talk and stuff, but I would just be like, I don't want to give you anything. Have you sneaking on my boat and messing with my reels or something. We're never going to get there, so don't worry about <laughs> right. it. Right. <laughs> so after you did it, you had, what, 15? And then uh, what would you have the second day?
3: Uh, So the first day, um, which was the day that we had, like, the really windy, rainy conditions. And, you know, us coming from the Ozarks... Uh, you know we really thought that was gonna be the day you know we was really gonna go out and kind of cable their heads in a little bit and expect those big bags to come in that we'd seen the day before and it really didn't I mean 13 pounds was leading it and I was in second with 10 10, 10 something and uh you know luckily you know the next day I got up you know there's no wind blowing uh there a little bit it did pick up before takeoff and the you know you could see every uh star in the sky and mm-hmm. we put our boat in and I took off down there and sun popped out and I just started cranking and, you know, I, you know, my sixteen eight or whatever it was that jumped me up to, you know, cause I had a three pound and some deficit and, right. and he caught another 12 pounds and something. So that just happened to, you know, by me catching that 16 uh, gave me enough that I jumped up and was able to hold him off by six ounces. And what'd you
1: catch him cranking on?
3: Uh, for the most part, um, both of us concentrated either on throwing uh, a wiggle wart. Mm-hmm. Or the uh, rock crawler, and when it came into now, the what size rock crawler? Uh, the 55. 55, yep. You like it? It is, it's a good one. I mean, especially, um, when the fish are a little bit deeper than what the wart wants to get down to, and and the way the fish set up at Hartwell Forest was, uh, kind of what I was alluding to with you looking at my Lorant and stuff that, uh, there's some kind of little grass that grows out there on the bottom. So if you threw up real close to the bank, you couldn't really crank down without just getting a bunch of moss all over your bait. So you had to set out, uh, and, you know, try to cast where your bait maybe would land in like that, you know, eight to 10 foot range. So you can start mm-hmm. cranking it down because if you threw into five foot and you dug the bottom real hard, then you was just going to get all that, you know, moss or grass, whatever it is mm-hmm. that's growing on it. And that a lot of the fish were setting out off like the first or second drop. I gotcha. Um, and so, I. The wart we definitely still caught some on it, but it seemed, uh, especially the last, the last day, all of my biggest ones came on the rock crawler, just because it was. I think it was getting a little bit deeper and getting a little bit closer to those fish. Mm -hmm. It doesn't hurt as bad to lose a rock crawler either, does it? And it luckily it does. You know, I I fished the same one. I uh, I've used it a bunch around home, and uh, you know I threw it all down there, and that's what I caught them all on, and for the most part, and. uh, so I went ahead and retired that one. It's hanging up on my did trophy That was now. It's, I wouldn't throw it again. I'd let her. That one, she did her job. She so. did good, good. <laughs>
0: what, what's your setup when you're cranking like that?
3: Um, so uh, for the most part, um, what I like to have is a it's the Mark Rose Ledge Series uh, Small Crankbait 1 by it, um It's a 7.6. Um, it's kind of a um, – it's still a fiberglass rod, but it's got a real light tip on it. And it seems like, uh, you know, with that 7.6, I can make a really long cast – um, and then I just paired it up with the, uh, Termit pro, uh, spinning grill and 10 pound, uh, fluorocarbon.
0: It's a 10 pound, okay. 10 pound.
3: That's good. How many uh, original warts do you have? Uh, I don't know. Somewhere probably between 16 and 75. You got any unopened? I do. You save those for something special or? No, I mean, do you consider yourself a collector of warts? No. I mean, I, I just consider them all ones that I use, uh, you know, most of the ones that are in boxes are just because I haven't opened them up. They're them mm-hmm. off to be painted yet. Okay, so you can do custom paint on them? I pretty much. I still use a few of the older colors um, that are good. Um, uh, I don't. I'm not even familiar with a whole bunch of the numbers. I just because we all have our own name. Like there's a brown bit, uh, brown brick is what we call it back home. But still a real good one, and like mm-hmm. the phantom watermelon. But other than that, I pretty much take most of everything over to uh, Ball Creek Lures there uh, outside Springfield and have them paint them up. Gotcha. How expensive is it to get one painted? Oh, it's not bad. I think it's uh you know, twelve bucks a bait.
1: On top of a hundred dollar bait, so it's one hundred and twelve you're throwing out there.
3: Yeah, but luckily, you know, a <laughs> lot of these, uh you know, I've you know, found like a garage sales and stuff and I uh, mm-hmm. had a buddy call me and uh, he went by a garage sale and I, I bought like thirty some of them one time at two dollars a piece. Really? Wow. So That's a jackpot. We've been pretty fortunate on uh on some of those. I had a lot more until I had Several years ago, somebody broke in my boat and stole, mm. uh, stole a bunch of them from me. But so, what about uh, after the classic dust settles? Are you uh, still fishing the team trail back home again? Yeah, we are. Um, they actually have one of their uh, qualifying tournaments. It's, it's actually the same weekend as the classic. So, uh, uh, my partner Tim Taylor, he's got uh, a buddy of ours that's kind of fill in for me while I'm gone as an alternate. Uh, you didn't want to go fish that over the classic. You know, it was a hard decision, I thought, <laughs> I would know, say I thought so. well, they got three more or four, you know, the championship, so I got that's four right. more that I can fit in. It's only one classic. Yeah. That's right.
1: <laughs> that's funny. So what else are you fishing this
3: year? Um, So I'm going to be fishing that. Um, our other tournament trail back home is called Anglers in Actions. I'm going to do some of the uh, new Phoenix Boats, BFLs. Oh, yeah. I'll be doing some of those. Uh, I'm trying to, you know, like get into some of the new Toyota Series events. Um, mm-hmm. A little bit harder with the... Uh, you know, with the vacation time from work and stuff, and right. you know, trying to the, do the job thing. And, uh, uh, you know, there's unfortunately, I'd love to be able to go do some of the Toyota series and stuff, um, you know, but to be able to do those and have, you know, three events where you basically need a week off and then a championship. You know, you got to have four weeks of vacation, and that's all I have is four weeks of vacation. So. Mm-hmm. And you're burning one at the Classic. Yeah, I'm Bernie. You know, I'm, you know, I'm going to be down here for 13 days. So I'm using like eight vacation days for it. Oh, wow. And, uh, I'd already booked a trip. I always take my wife to Mexico every year. So mm-hmm. this year is going to be uh, a whole lot of uh, showing up uh, Friday night and putting yeah. the boat in Saturday morning and just trying to go figure it out for the They're day. Do some
1: instinct fishing. Mm-hmm. That's good, though. So um, after the Classic, um, when you get back home, I mean, did they, uh, or I'm sorry, after the
3: team championship, I mean, what was the response back home? You know, it's been very uh, overwhelming. I mean, you, uh, you know, you know, you had a lot of buddies and stuff, and it was really mind blowing just to see actually how many people were watching. And mm-hmm. um, you know, Bass just recently did an article, you know, talking about some of the Ozarks guys qualifying for the Classic, and uh, you know, they had a charity tournament at table rock going on that day for one of our buddies that was fighting cancer at the time, and. Uh, during the weigh-in and everything, everybody stopped, and I guess they had it where everybody was really projecting it, but everybody had it up, playing it on their phones and stuff. And they said, you know, everybody was there hooping and hollering in the parking lot once, Seeing I'd won. And, <laughs> you know, and just like seeing that, and, you know, they send me pictures of everybody huddled around their phones. And I mean, my phone blew up for a month and a half straight. I mean, uh, it was just amazing to see all the outpouring and love from uh, the community and, uh, and really even just from the sponsors and stuff that, uh, you know, that, stepped up and mm-hmm. uh, everything's just been amazing up to this point that's awesome so you edged to get back after this one i mean does that put some fire in your belly to keep doing it yes i mean it really does i mean getting there and it hasn't even started yet and i'm already so stinking excited i can't can't mm-hmm. wait to you know put the boat in tomorrow but uh it does and that, and that was one of the main purposes because me and tim uh you know we talked about once we would made it uh, you know if one of us qualified for the Classic, the other one's going to be there to support them. And, right. And then we found out, you know, the Classic was on top of one of our qualifiers. And I was like, you know, that's fine. You know, i all go to the Classic. Uh, you know, we need to make sure that one of us gets back because we're going to have to do this again. So mm-hmm. so that's why he's staying back at home and trying to fill in that side for us. Oh, that's cool. And, and you and I were talking earlier, and I forgot about uh, one, but we've actually had three guys from McAllister
1: Marine make it to this... Uh, make it to the classic via the team championship
3: there is so you know the team championships this is uh i'm the sixth person to qualify for that and Mm -hmm. out of of the six qualifiers three of us are from right there in that springfield missouri area and every single one of us uh run a phoenix uh, through McAllister marine
0: did howard have any advice to give you
3: no, I mean, we talked about it a little bit. I mean, he was just trying to make sure that you know, everything that he could do on his side to try to make this as you know least stressful that he could to make sure if there's anything at the boat, anything you know, that needed to be done that, you know, that I'd be taking care of before I got down here to try to put my mind at ease a little bit on having to worry about anything. Yeah, he's a pretty good fellow, isn't he? He is a good guy.
1: <laughs> so now you're going out, since you uh, qualified last, year, going out last spot on the first day, first spot on the second?
3: Uh, for the Classic? Yeah. No, so uh, they did a – so uh, vote one is going to be Scott Catterberry for Mm -hmm. the year. Uh, Vote two is uh, Drew Cook for uh, rookie of the year. Mm -hmm. And then Bass did a random draw uh, from third through 53rd, and I am uh, following out Paul Mueller's in third, and I'm rolling out in fourth. Fourth. Lucky four? Lucky four. You feel lucky about four? you have a lucky number? I do not. I'm hoping that lucky number is 50. (laughs) 50? I hear you.
0: (laughs) You You're going to keep that windshield –
3: I am. I'm gonna keep that one yeah, We hooked up him years. up with the one just a second ago. Okay. So we already talked about it. He's like,
0: is there is there anybody you're looking forward to meeting on the water this next week?
3: Uh, you know. The, the I think one of the things that is kind of neat about the whole scenario is uh so like even Ryan Butler, whenever me and him met uh fishing Table Rock, uh or well he was actually on Table Rock in 2006, they had a FL oh sorry, two thousand nine. They had a FLW to uh, a tour event there, and uh, Scott Cadbury was in the uh, top ten that final day. And me and Butler uh, actually followed along and watched him fish. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's kind of cool that you know that uh, me and Ryan met through we were sitting out there watching Scott fish that day. You know, Ryan's made it to the classic, and mm-hmm. now now I'm going to the classic and actually not be watching Scott. I'm gonna be fishing against Scott. That's right.
1: Well, before we let you go, you showed us a really cool
3: down in the shop um, tell folks about that because that's a cool deal i did so right before i got ready to uh i was packing up my final bags and everything on tuesday night so i could leave out after work yesterday and uh, my father-in-law stopped by and uh, said he had something for me so i came in there in the kitchen and i was talking to him and he was telling me a story about uh before he had left uh go in the army um he had found a big chunk of lead and uh, he gave it to uh his uncle and his uncle at the time loved to fish and always tied up his own jigs and he gave him that lead and after that he went off in the service and was gone for several years and uh, once he came back home uh, his uncle had had some these hair jigs that he'd tied up for him and uh, he told us a story about basically you know his uncle was you know a really great fisherman and was one of the absolute luckiest person that he'd ever met before and he had the original hair jig that he had tied for him 50 years ago that he, for when he got back from the military. Mm-hmm. And so he gave me that as hopefully my uh, good luck charm that I'm going to be carrying in my boat this week. That's so awesome. 50 years old at the 50th Classic. Yeah. Gives you goosebumps almost that it's going to be something special there. It is. isn't, you know, And he didn't know. I mean, so he's into fishing, you know, for more so for crappie and stuff like that. And, and he didn't even know this was the 50th anniversary. He so said whenever he told me this is 50 years old, I looked at my wife, and I was like, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> like goosebumps kind of went down the spine i would drive 50 the entire
1: way to gunnersville just for one more one just more time one more 50, 50. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just to get it in there yeah maybe see if you can get your hotel room to be number 50 yeah that's gonna be like, like, <laughs> can you move me please <laughs> yeah oh man well look we appreciate you coming down um good luck we're gonna be cheering you on and uh hopefully see you host up a big old classic trophy
3: absolutely guys i thank you for uh, everything you guys do for phoenix gary and the team Trace, everybody i mean uh you know i'm proud to uh, be running that 921 at the classic and uh, love it to death
1: well we got 13 phoenixes in it this year so we definitely feel like we got a shot to, for a winner
3: so we're excited yep absolutely Hopefully, we do. <laughs> yeah buddy right,
0: appreciate it